We are not perfect. We do not do everything well as our Savior does. But we are His followers. And at the very least, we will do our best. Welcome to the Athens First UMC Sermons Podcast. I'm Sarah Lawing, Director of Online Productions. We hope you'll enjoy this weekly resource. Good morning. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 31 and concluding with verse 37. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private away from the crowd and put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatah, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let us pray. Indeed, O Lord, You did everything well. And amazingly, it was all done on behalf of us. So we are grateful and we rejoice in the good news of who you are and what you have done. In your name we pray. Amen. He has done everything well. Well, I mean, that's the part of being the Son of God that just goes with it. We could think. We could conclude that. Well, He's he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Anointed One of God. He's the Son of God. So yes, He has the capacity to do everything well, which we do not. But I don't think that's the full story here. I think there has to be something beyond the capacity to do something. Just because we're capable of doing things does not mean we do those things. Jesus did not come here half-heartedly. Jesus did not come here to just do okay and to try to be above average. He could have done and been and said anything He wanted to, but behind the ability was the willingness. And He came and He was willing to do everything well. He fulfilled His full potential. The question that raises for me in this text especially is what about me? Do I fulfill my full potential? Do I give my best to everything that I do? That does not mean the standard will meet the standard of Christ, but it does mean there is an act of will, there is a desire in my heart to do my best. Is that true of you and is that true of me? When I was a scout, I would go down to the scout hut every Monday night for several years and I would hold my hand up in in this manner and I would say, on my honor, I will do my best. 
I would say it week after week after week. On my honor, I will do my best. And the reality was I didn't do my best. There were times I went into that meeting and had no interest in doing my best. All I wanted to do was talk with my buddies. There were merit badges that I did not secure because I did not do my best. Even though I stood and raised my hand and said, on my honor... I will do my best. I didn't do it. I suspect, I suspect there have been moments in your life when you did not do your best, when you did not give your best. It was not, it was not because you were incapable of something. It was because your will, your heart, your soul was not in it. We've all experienced that. We've all had moments when we did not do our best. But the one who came for us, the one we gather every Sunday to worship, he did indeed do everything well, not simply because of his ability, but because of his desire to do everything well on our behalf. Do we desire to do our very best on his behalf? Sometimes I do, and sometimes, if I'm completely honest with you, I do not. I do not offer my very best. President Carter in his book, Why Not the Best, tells a story of sitting down in an interview with Admiral Hyman Rickover. Rickover had a reputation of asking penetrating questions, of moving through the glib stuff, the patent answers that we give in interviews and such, and being able to have the capacity to drive a little bit deeper into our souls and reveal more than we really wanted to reveal. And the first question he asked Carter was, where did you stand with your other midshipmen in your class? And Carter spoke up proudly and said, I was 59 in a class of 820. That's pretty good. I've never been 59 in a class of 820. He was anticipating that Rickover would say, well, well done. You did a good job at the Naval Academy. Uh, but that's not what Rickover followed with. The next question Rickover asked him is he said, uh, Mr. Carter, did you do your best? And Carter was immediately going to say, well, sure I did. I gave my best as a midshipman. When I was at the Naval Academy, I studied hard. I did not miss formations. I was on time. I did all the things a midshipman does. But before he could say that, he reflected a little more deeply and he said, to be quite honest, Admiral, uh, no, I did not. And then he said, Rickover asked him a question uh, that stayed with him for years and years and years and remain so today. And here was the question that followed, did you do your best? No, Admiral Rickover, I, I did not. And then Rickover asked, why not? Why not? Why is it that I don't always do my best? And why is it that you do not always do your best? There's a difference between doing your best and doing everything well. 
The expectation of Christ is different than the expectation of us. There is an expectation that we will do our best. There's not an expectation that we will do everything well. Do we have any evidence in the Scripture of people who did their very best? In a moment in time, they offered their best. They gave their best in that particular moment. We might think they would all be a part of the familiar characters of the Bible, but they're not always in that category. The young boy who gave his lunch did his best. Jesus said, does anybody have something to eat? And there were 5,000 people, and that boy with loaves and fishes could have said, well, this won't matter. This will have no impact on anyone. This will not bring an empty stomach to a place of fullness. I'll save it for myself. But he gave his lunch. He gave his best. It did not look like much, but none of us can deny that in that moment, that boy did his best. And that father who brought his sick child to Jesus, and Jesus asked him, do you believe? And he said, yes, Lord, I believe. The follow-up, The follow-up statement was, help my unbelief. I may not do everything well, but I'm coming here giving you my best. I love my child and I believe. But I need for you to help me to believe more. The young boy who gave his lunch and the father who cried out, I believe, help my unbelief, they gave their best in that moment. Now we, meet, we need to make a distinction here between what it means to pursue excellence and what it means to pursue perfection. Those are completely different journeys. I would never ask you in this moment to declare yourself to be a perfectionist, but I'm guessing that some of you sitting in the pew this morning have a little touch of perfectionism. Maybe not. If, if you don't, don't own it. I'm not going to ask you to confess it. But, but many of us deal with that. There is a kind of perfectionist tendency in our lives. And if we're not careful, we can identify that. We can define that as doing my best. In other words, doing my best results in perfection. Edwin Bliss helped me years ago with this when I read The Pursuit of Excellence. The pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is neurotic and a terrible waste of time. There is a distinction there. I'm not asking you this morning if if you're perfect. I'm asking you this morning, and I'm asking me this morning, are we doing our very best, are we? Can we say in this moment in time as an individual and as a church that we are doing our very best? We had 198 people in worship last Sunday morning. That hasn't happened in 25 years. Are we doing our best? And you're thinking to yourself, well, I was here. Okay, thank you. I'm grateful and I'm glad. Does that represent your best? Why do you think we're having friend day? You know, typically we ask you, will you bring an unchurched person to church? 
We're asking you now, will you bring a churched person to church? Will you bring a member of this church to church? Because somehow we've fallen asleep and we can't wake up. We've gone into hibernation and we're struggling and struggling to wake up. I know last week was Labor Day, Chuck. Come on, man. It was a holiday. It was the last blast of the summer. Come on. You know how important that is. Yeah, I do. Wherever you were, did you go to worship? If you did, congratulations and thank you. If you didn't, you don't have any excuse. Well, there was a ball game. There was a football game. I love football. Well, I went to Charlotte and I couldn't get back. Stayed up late watching the ball game. Whatever it is, are we doing our best? Are we really doing our best when we had the lowest attendance we've had in 20 plus years? David Brooks in his book, The Road to Character, talks about two kinds of virtues. He says there are resume virtues and and there are eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the ones we focus our attention on. Where did you go to school? What kind of experience do you have? What do you have to offer in the workplace? Our culture and our educational system focus on the resume virtues, and that's what we focus on most of our lives. We have a resume, and we put it out there, and it says all the things we've done, the education we've had, the experience we've had, what makes us a capable person. You have a resume, and you've put that resume out there a number of times, I would imagine, and so have I, and you've read a number of resumes. And there's nothing wrong with having a good resume. It has probably enabled you to get a good job. And that is a good thing. But I have never stood in this pulpit or any other pulpit to celebrate the life of someone who has died and talked about their resume. Not one time. Not one time have I taken their resume and said, let me tell you about Chuck Hodges. He graduated from high school at St. Angela Academy, a Catholic school in Aiken, South Carolina. He went to college and got his BA and he went to seminary and got his MDiv and he served Grove Town and Shamba. No. I don't read your resume. I've never read anyone's. But we focus on those resumes. But there are a more important set of virtues that we call eulogy virtues. And those are the ones the preacher stands and talks about. Were you brave? Were you faithful? Were you someone who loved everybody? Did you bring joy to the moments of others' lives. That's what they talk about. When I came to this church, I met a couple of people who had been 
really heroes of mine. You know, when, when you're in high school and somebody's in college, you think that you're part of different generations, but you're not. And as you get older, you get closer in age. You all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? When I came here as a pastor, I remember meeting Charlie Whittemore and Steve Greer. Now, I grew up a big Georgia fan as a kid. I listened to games every week if they weren't on TV, and if they were on TV, I watched them every time the Bulldogs were on TV. And the sweet spot of my fandom occurred when Charlie Whittemore and Steve Greer were players at the University of Georgia. So the first time I met Charlie and Steve, I was a little bit wild. I'd never met them before. That was Charlie Whittemore. Man, if you only knew how much your preacher admired you when he was in middle school, high school, and Steve, uh, how great I thought you were. I know those two men now, and we're of the same generation. And when I think of them, I think very little about their football days at the University of Georgia, as great as they were. Charlie Whittemore is a son of a preacher. He's a good, kind man who loves well, who teaches Sunday school every single Sunday, who does his best day after day and week after week in the life of this church. And I guarantee you, whoever does Charlie Whittemore's funeral will say very little about the University of Georgia. And they'll say a lot about the virtues in his life that reflected Christ, that moved other people to want to do better and to be better. I visit Steve Greer every week. Steve is battling Lou Gehrig's disease. Steve and I spend our time talking a lot about football because we both love it. I love football and I played football, not like those two guys. My dad told me I didn't have to play football. Of course, he followed that up with, you don't have to eat either. And I thought, <laughs> I'm sure he was kidding. So, sort of, I think he was, maybe. Steve was All-American here. To be with him... is to sit in utter amazement of who He is. He's so much more than a football player. He's a man of faith in the midst of crisis. He's a man of hope in the face of a debilitating illness. He's a man of joy. In the face of so much that is so hard 
I know Charlie Whittemore and I know Steve Greer because I've been their pastor for 13 years. They have a great resume. But they have a much, much better set of virtues that stand the test of time. Are we doing our best? We have been reminded of 9-11 over this weekend. 20 years. It did change life as we know it. It doesn't appear that airline travel will ever be the same. Some of you here right now don't remember anything but what we have now. You used to go right to the gate and your loved ones could go with you. You could arrive five minutes before and you could still get on the plane. Things have changed as a result of 9-11. But what I have marveled at this week is I've watched the stories and listened to the tales of people's behavior in that time. It has inspired me. The first certified death of 9-11 was a Catholic priest, number 0001, Father Michael Judge. He was a chaplain for the New York City Fire Department. When he heard the news, he made his way to the tower. He prayed for those outside the tower who were injured. And then he went into the North Tower where they had created a command center. And he began to minister to those in need, handing out water, praying with people who were so frightened. When the South Tower came down, debris flew from the South Tower into the lobby of the North Tower where he was. The debris hit him in the head and he, he died instantly the first certified death of 9-11. When they moved him from the rubble, and they reached into his pockets, and he had a little piece of paper in his pocket that he carried with him every day that read, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say and keep me out of your way. He died doing his best. Would any of us want to die otherwise? Are we doing our best, that's not about perfection. That's about the pursuit of excellence. As I was watching a documentary, uh, there was a fire department officer who was talking about 
the days after 9-11 as people poured into New York City. And he said there were firefighters and police officers and EMTs that he just did not recognize. He didn't find that all that unusual because it was New York City, but he just saw so many unfamiliar faces. Finally, he said, I, I asked someone, I said, who are you? And they gave me their name. And I said, well, where are you from? Meaning, what station are you from? And he said, I'm from another city. And he said, why are you here? In the midst of all this. And he said, I'm an American. I'm an American. I don't have to be from New York City to care. Because I'm an American. Do you remember President Bush's approval ratings during that time? They were in the 90s. The good Lord couldn't get a 90% approval rating today. Do you remember how people came together? Do you remember the absence of finger pointing and political wrangling? Do you remember? It doesn't have to be this way. We need to do better. We need to do better. We need to do our best. And I'm not sure if we're doing that individually or as a church or as a country. But brothers and sisters, we must wake up. that a new day may dawn. And the good news of God's love will spread across this land. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we want to do our best. We just don't want to badly enough. So we settle for something less than that. Or we find ourselves just overwhelmed by it all and say, what difference can I make? Forgive us. A boy gave a lunch. And a father cried for help because he didn't believe enough. We are not perfect. We do not do everything well as our Savior does. But we are His followers. And at the very least, we will do our best. In Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at athensfirstumc.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week 
by following us on Instagram or Facebook at Athens First UMC. Oh Lord, I'm again.